Every job starts somewhere. Most of the time, it starts with a simple phone call. How do you determine what the person needs and how can you use the call taking process to increase your bottom dollar? From safety to service to possibly some badly made references to William Shadner, we'll have the direct line to dispatching. This is The Three Tumblers. Before I was a cop, I was a 911 dispatcher. Did that for a total of 10 years. I was the first point of contact for people having the worst days of their life. Nowadays, it's not so much life and death, but even as locksmiths, there are many of the same concepts in play. One of those concepts, I think, is resource management. Uh, when I worked 911, you had to know what resources you had available. Did you have a unit that was perhaps a little bit closer? Uh, if you were doing non-emergency transports, did you have a unit that was out of district, but closest to the patient and could drop them off on their way back to their district? Being able to know what you have available in the field can greatly increase your productivity. And, and your efficiency, that was the word I was looking for, efficiency. And getting, we'll, we'll talk about some of this later, but when you have the information about the call, uh, you can better assign that to your workers in the field. Uh, Jeff, you do, you do a lot of dispatching, I, I imagine, being in the shop. Well, I don't um, know. I don't do any dispatching. Well, you do call taking, right? Right, but I'm not the one sending the people out. Okay, um, so my thunder diminishes a little bit. Um, are you, but basically, you know, um, you know what your guys in the field do. Like one oh, might yes, do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so if you were to dispatch, you could say, okay, I'm going to give this call to Johnny instead of you know stephanie or little timmy yeah or little timmy because timmy doesn't do automotive um <laughs> but yeah i mean what like what do you look for as far as you know managing those resources because that's the way you kind of have to think of of your folks in the field they're they're resources to your shop right so you have to consider what they do and their availability and their schedules. I guess. I mean, the boss really does all that. I just take the call in. I mean, I'll note it if somebody requests a certain technician and I, I guess I know what they're good at, but I have no say in the matter. And sometimes it's not even, it's just whatever call goes in, there's no, it's not always a rhyme or reason as to who gets it. I mean, they try to keep the calls in the same area and give people calls, you know, that's near where they live and stuff because they everybody starts from home. But, you know, I'm just the shop guy. I'm the guy answering the phone. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, to me, it sounds like, you know, enough about the folks you work with and the area and whatnot, that if you had to step into that role, you could probably do that quite well. Probably. Yes. Yeah. Tyler, um, 
we've talked about it in past episodes, but, uh, you know, you hiring out help, um, from your area, you're not going to send, um, somebody like in my area to a call in, you know, like way, way the hell out there without first checking. Right. I mean, you know, kind of your guys in their areas. Yeah, I try to avoid it, but sometimes it's inevitable, especially when it's a, a dire emergency and, you know, Jim Bob Cooter's got availability next Friday, but you need it tomorrow, which is Thursday. And all right, well, sorry, I got to call around. And then you find somebody that might be 45, 16 miles away, but has availability. And they're saying, well, you know, it's going to cost like 500 just to get there. And you're like, I, I don't care if you're available. This is an exception. We're going to have to do it. But generally, uh, that's that's very rare. Generally, it's it's you know people are there. Can we get that guy in Washington to make a sticker design of Jim Bob Cooter? Since he's I refer- was he's referenced in almost every episode. Jim Bob Cooter must be your most highly paid employee, or think- or at least subcontractor. There was a offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions years ago called Jim Bob Cooter. Detroit. You say that like such a Southerner, Detroit. Detroit. And yeah, so I mean, that just, it's, I don't know, a stereotypical Southern name. So I've always just gone with Jim Bob Cooter. It was pretty funny. Tom was on the phone with somebody and he, in the traditional Pittsburgh. Ah, what a jag off. <laughs> well, Tyler, is it's like I told you, I think you asked me the other day about a, a job and I said, sure, we go there for the right price. I mean, we'll make availability as best we can. Yeah, um, well, that was almost one of those situations. But thankfully, like after I got done calling half of Western North Carolina, they called me and said, oh, actually, we did find the keys. And I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to make money that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so another thing that really comes into uh, taking calls and you know, regardless of if you dispatch the calls or not, uh, taking the calls can come into some aspects that we've talked about before, specifically safety concerns. You know, when you talk with with a caller, uh, it, it, in our system, we have like internal notes that are private from what the customers get. And so we can say, you know, hey, you know, Barb, can't keep a manager at her store uh so we're going out there to rekey it for the 11th time this year we can put those as internal notes and a lot of those are are just kind of things like that just saying you know hey this this is kind of what the deal is um other things though can relate more to safety and you know our shop's pretty small we've got three people you know three three employees counting Jason, the owner, and uh, which I guess he's not an employee, he's the owner, plus he has two employees. Anyway, getting on the phone and saying, hey, I I scheduled this call for you, you know, later in the day, because we, whoever's in the shop and answers the phone, we act as call taker and dispatcher. So to get back to like the safety concerns, you really want to communicate and say, hey, this guy sounded a little off. You might want to call him before you head that way. Uh, just ask him a few questions or something like that. Um, 
Tyler, you, you're going to talk about a lot of stuff later, but in your time dispatching locksmiths, I, I imagine that was probably a pretty big concern. Yeah, like you said, you hear something that doesn't sound up uh, to snuff or something that doesn't sound ideal, um, especially taking after-hours calls two or three at night. Uh, I need my car unlocked. Nah, I'm not coming out there because likely there's alcohol involved, and I don't want that liability. But, yeah, you got to use uh, your best judgment, um, and, and it, it's something you pick up as you go along. Uh, you get better at it when you start out you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and you're just oh yeah i want to get every job for everything and blah 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 but then you learn um it's okay to walk away or say oh actually we don't have availability when you really do and then you just give a competitor somebody you don't like give them their phone number (laughs) i i may or may not have done that this afternoon um yeah tyler it's interesting you say that uh, about learning as you go along because in 911 uh, 99.9% of the times we have something called a scripted protocol. And if you've ever called for an ambulance, uh, for anybody, for any reason, it feels like they're asking you, you know, to play like 25,000 questions with them. Right. Uh, and those... a, lot, a lot of the times the people that are answering are getting frustrated and like, I don't know this, or why do you keep asking me this? You know? Yeah. I mean, and there's, I, I literally used to teach classes, like classroom classes about 911 communications and using that protocol system. Um, so I could go on for, I, I think the longest class I taught was like 48, 50 some odd hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, people do get frustrated with it, but it boils down the information into something that's very concise. Um, Jeff, when when you take calls at the shop, um, kind of what's what's your thought process as far as um, getting essential details of the job and uh, especially safety concerns? Like, what are some cues that you listened for? Just. I mean, I try to get as much information as I can. People don't like, why are you asking so many questions? It's just a regular lock. Well, it isn't, you know, the, the safety concern part. I mean, if it's, you know, you just sort of have to sort of ask, you know, about like for lockouts and stuff, we don't do any car work on the road. So that's a big part. That's that, that I don't have to deal with. And I have nothing to do with what happens after five o'clock. Cause that goes to an answering service when it's screened. And then it, if it's a certain kind of call, then it, then our technician is sent the call and they contact the customer. So the safety part of it isn't really, you know, more so like on an eviction, you know, knowing that it's got to be scheduled and the sheriff or the police has to be there, stuff like that. That's just more things that I overhear. I don't dispatch those calls. I usually don't even take those in, but on a, on a basic residential call, just trying to figure out exactly what the problem is. Sometimes that's an act of Congress or car key, you know, do you make car keys? And I've said this a hundred times. If somebody would just call in and say, I, hi, I have a 2012 Honda CRV. How much is it to make an additional key with the remote? But that never happens, you know, or five minutes later, they tell you, well, I have my own key. I just need you to cut it. Yeah, you exactly. We... So it's like you're, you're trying to, you know, the, the commercial customers, general, a lot of that stuff comes in through 
like electronic work order, like a service channel type thing. And you still sometimes have to call and clarify, uh, but pictures, you know, think somebody, uh, I have a file cabinet, the code is 223. Well, that could be 500 things. So you call the, call the bank and you please email me a picture or tell me what's on the key. Okay, no problem. Thank you. You know, that's, but, you know, for service stuff, just trying to figure out what the actual problem is, is a problem, if that makes sense. You know, people are, are frustrated because something's broken. They don't, you know, well, just, just have them come out. Well, you know, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Right. And, and in the next blog, Tyler's going to talk a lot about uh, coaxing this information out, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is if we hear anything when taking those calls, even if you're, you know, you're a, a one man show type shop um, out on your own, if you hear anything that doesn't sound right in that that caller's voice or the answers aren't making sense like they should you you always ask you know okay like for a lockout for example you say okay it's a residential lockout um do you have your id or do you have anything that can show that you live there you know show me a, a, a water bill or utility bill, because practically everybody gets those emailed to them these days. Sure. Uh, can you show me that? And then even if your your license or ID is inside the house, you know, show me that as soon as I let you in and we'll be good. And they're like, well, the, the utilities are actually in my ex-wife's name. And nope, I'm not touching that. That's that I cut it off right there you know no matter what else they try to tell me i'm like nope i i, I don't want that i'm going to refer that to somebody else even if it's something that means that i could do a job on my way home and get home earlier so you know yeah, the big I, thing go ahead jeff i would tell him to call jim bob cooter in that case he don't care yeah we uh i i i was only in the shop like an hour and a half today and sent three jobs to jim bob cooter mm-hmm. who's actually pretty good he brought us cookies for christmas <laughs> um all right guys so anything else either y'all want to add to yeah this? uh i just looked it up um jim bob cooter is currently the uh offensive coordinator for the indianapolis colts now these so. are the <clears throat> these are the kind of nuances that <laughs> he went, uh he went from he went from Detroit to New York to Philadelphia to Jacksonville. Now Jim Bob Cooter is the offensive coordinator with the Indianapolis Colts. But where was he born? Uh, Fayetteville, Tennessee. Okay, that explains the name. That, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So, how, how do you coax this valuable information out of callers? Tyler will give us some tips and tricks on just that. Up next. First contact with a customer on the phone can be pretty challenging at times. There's a good reason we all joke about the blue door that's on the regular car with the standard lock. But being able to extract information from callers with finesse can sometimes make the difference between a good call and a lost job. Uh, Tim has experience dispatching. I have experience dispatching as well, but 
his was life and death. Mine was locksmithing. So I've got a pretty good experience with dispatching locksmithing. Funny enough. So when dispatching locksmithing, or I guess any service industry for that matter, a, a lot of the times is you've got to translate what the customer is saying. They think that they know or what they've heard is correct. So they're going to speak that language with you. And I know Jeff always jokes that every part in a lock cylinder is a tumbler. He's got that picture of that exploded diagram of a Schlage cylinder and every part's listed as a tumbler. Well, I mean, it's not all that far-fetched because customers saying, oh, I just need my lock retumbled, or uh, it seems like a tumbler stuck, or the tumblers aren't lining up, or whatever it may be. You know, we laugh about it, but I mean, you got to figure out what the hell they mean by tumbler. Usually it's a pen or a wafer or something like that, which I guess technically is a tumbler, wafer tumbler. But you've got to understand what the hell they mean. And we've talked about it before, you know, like Jeff had said in a previous episode, uh, I need my locks replaced. Well, no, you really don't need your locks replaced. You need them rekeyed. Or uh, just other little things that they say where they may not mean exactly what they say, but that's just all they know how to say. So you've got to start to interpret or at least translate what they say and use it so that when you dispatch your texts, they're not bitching and griping at you for saying, hey, uh, you sent me out here to replace locks, and really all they needed was one lock rekeyed or vice versa. I guess the last portion, they'd get really pissed off if they anticipated just rekeying one lock and they had to replace all the other locks. But so, I mean, that's kind of the happy medium. You got to play uh, good with the techs and good with the customers. You don't want the work bigger than what it really is. You don't want the invoice really bigger than it is. And that goes back to translating and getting down what the customer actually needs. Tim, I know you answer some of our service calls, but I mean, that's the big part of it, right? When you're interfacing with customers, they don't know what the hell they're talking about most of the times, but you've got to kind of figure it out so that it works for you, your techs, and them so that when the job happens, the number of surprises are reduced to either zero or very little, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I want to take a second and give props to Jason Meeks. SE Lock and Key on YouTube. Um, he, a, a very long time ago, and, and I know he still does it on his lives, uh, whenever he does a Saturday live and he answers the phone for a service call, um, he says, we charge X number of dollars per cylinder, and a cylinder is every place that you put a key into. And I have followed that, and that has saved my ass so many times because you say, okay, how many doors are there? Well, there's five doors. Well, each door has, you know, a knob and a deadbolt, you know, both keyed. Um, that's 10 cylinders, not five. So you give a customer the estimate for five cylinders rekeyed. You get out there and say, oh, yeah, it's going to be double that amount if you want the deadbolts rekeyed too. So, I mean, trying to suss out the uh you know what their goals are that they want to accomplish is a pretty big part of it and i kind of wish that we had some uh going back to what i mentioned earlier about 911 uh, i kind of wish we had some standardized terminology for questioning customers maybe a pamphlet 
or something like a flow chart or something yeah exactly that's exactly the way the 911 scripted protocol questioning reference system works but again i'm regressing to a decade ago (laughs) i remember too uh when i was uh calling in and they wanted locks replaced or they said they had one oddball and the rest of the house was on another key i was able to figure out you know asking them to describe the bow of the key and this is where i learned that you know how quick set keys have those three diamonds in it yep Yep. i know jeff knows why but tim do you know why that is probably not but windows of a house no if you take it sideways that forms a k okay you just cut you just cut out i don't know if that was just me tyler yeah you you cut out too I got the gist of it, but yeah. that it forms a K. Okay. I always to... thought it was Windows also. And then somebody flipped the key over and showed me. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Schlage has a distinct shape as well. But a lot of times you'll say what's written on there and they won't say anything besides, oh, it says axe. Okay. Well, there's numbers, two numbers on there. Tell me what it was 69 and 68, whatever it may be. Nice. And you owe me one. <laughs> You would figure out, okay, their oddball is a KW1, it's an AR1, an SC1, WR5, whatever it may be. Um, you'd have to speak what information they had available and and make it make sense between the two of you. Jeff, I know you don't do dispatching, but you answer either in person or on the phone where customers are requesting, uh, I need the need keys made for an ignition or whatever it may be so you have to deal with that kind of oh yeah all the time yeah have you you, you've picked up any tricks or habits that might help others just new ways to pronounce quickset and schlage i had i had somebody write on an email today uh, a government customer call it the schledge like a sledgehammer yeah i get kiwi set schlazinger whatever There was no lie. I heard another locksmith. I won't say where uh, another locksmith pronounced it. Schlage. Schlage. I've heard Schlage. Yeah. According to Bob Dix, it's Schlage because it's German, but who knows? (laughs) Walter. Uh, Jeff, real quick. uh, How is it pronounced? Y-A-L-E? well, it depends where you're at. I believe in your jurisdiction, it's Yale. Yale. <laughs> I've never heard it called Yale. I heard it once, and uh, me and Jeff still laugh about it. <laughs> uh, speaking of getting information from customers on the phone, like Tim said earlier, with his dispatching in 911, it almost can seem like 20 questions with a customer and almost they kind of take a front or a fence to it. And they're like, well, what more do you need to know? Just get out here. You're the expert. And sometimes they start to shut down. You may only be asking four or five questions, but to them it's four or 500. So what do you do in those cases where you're talking to a customer, you just need two or three more pieces of information to get the job done, or at least get everything out the door prepared, everything good to go. And they're fighting you for it. They're almost getting attitude saying, uh, well, I thought I already told you, or, hey, man, I just need this retunnel, and I just need my locks replaced. What more do you need to know? 
I mean, uh, Tim, how, how do you deal with those people? Do you do you keep pressing or you just throw in the towel? You baffle them with bullshit and then you take the uppercut. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, you know, you say, okay, yes, we we probably can do that. Here's what I need to know because it could make the difference between a really expensive job or a really inexpensive job. You know, whatever you have to tell them. And I hate to be that way, but honestly, if you don't extract that information from them, it really could be the difference of two, three, five hundred dollars, you know, for a residential job or a commercial job. You know, when they say, hey, my handle's loose um, and is commercial, you get out there and you say, OK, yeah, that's, uh, you know, for grade one lever, that's what, 250 bucks, something like that. Uh, they might recoil at that after you've already put it on the door and then you have to deal with it. So you say, look, you know, tell me, is there a button on the inside? Is there a button? You know, is there a key cylinder on the outside? What does your lock say on it? Um, is it a patio door where you have to, you know, lift up on the handle to lock it? You know, just kind of get through little nuances like that and Please you know saying that word kind of kind of nuance it back to them and then eventually you can get them to acquiesce to your line of questioning and if they don't want to cooperate just tell them it's a thousand bucks to show up yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought up jason earlier because i've been there on a few of those lives where he answers a phone call and he's so matter of fact with it but he asks us questions and he won't relent because he knows he needs that information. And if they're not going to acquiesce, he just he's not going to bother with the job or at least he's not going to, you know, curry any favor with it. Jeff, um, sorry, we, uh, we don't have anyone who comes out on Saturdays. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, he says that, but he also especially when they're calling in for an automotive key, he wants all the details. And and if they don't have it, he'll say, "Well, this is why I need to know." Yeah. Oh no, I was just being coy. You you were being a ding dong. Yes. Yes. Jeff, do you ever have to get stern with people saying, "Yeah, I need to need I need to know this information," and I'm not Maybe. trying to give you a hard time, but this is why I need to know. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you tell people three times, "I really need to see the key to give you an accurate and exact price." Like you want to tell them, "Look, you could be here by now." to show us the key <laughs> and you know that gets frustrating like they want well how much is it and you tell them three times you got to bring it in i i can't i can only guess i can give you you know approximate price but if you want an exact number you got to bring it in and people don't always want to hear that so yeah one of uh one of my first times answering the phone at the shop after i started which is almost right at two years ago now um the person called and said hey can you make a copy of my house key and i wasn't thinking i was new it was like the i don't know maybe fifth time i had answered the phone at the shop and i said sure bring it in and he brought in and he had medico and it was not our medico and you know i'm like sorry i told you that um should ask some more questions. And, and I was honest with them. You know, I said, I should have asked you a few more questions. You know, what, 
what shape was the key? Are there anything, you know, any numbers or, or names on there or something like that? So, I mean, that's another important question to ask. I think what you were talking about earlier, you know, with does your key say 68 or 69 on there? And uh, you just get that information out of the customer and they will appreciate it if you say, hey, I can't do that for you. But here's who can't. Well, um, that's the crux behind a secret project that Jeff and I have been working on for years where somebody will come in and say, I need this key. And I'm just like, that's not my key, but here's who you call. And I think we've talked on this in the past episodes about customer service. They love that shit. I can't do it, but here's who can do it. Yeah. So you, you can't beat that. Yep. Any other final points? Nope. Nope. I think that sums it up. Jeff is pretty good at shop work and does a lovely job at getting stuff ready for locksmiths in the field. But was he able to get stuff ready for the third half of our show? We'll let find out. So you finally figured out what service the customer needs and gotten the information out of them. You can do some real locksmith magic if you're in the shop. Even if you're a one-man show, there are ways to have a Jeff like me to help you out. So being the guy on the phone means that you can have a pretty good idea of what's needed. And when the customer is able to describe it, I can pretty much visualize what they need and usually walk them through, you know, if it's something simple, um, you know, technology helps with that. And being able to get pictures real quick. And sometimes you can avoid a service call, uh, but just trying to get all the information so that I can either prepare the job for the guy going out there, let them know, Hey, heads up. They've got this kind of weird stuff and we may not be able to do it, or I've got measurements and this is what we need and we just need to verify it. So I, I try to get the information that I can um, ahead of time. And sometimes it is, not easy and people don't want to give you that information and you know they're frustrated you know they just want it fixed they don't want you to keep asking them questions well i got to know exactly what we're doing tyler you are you know in shop doing all that stuff what are you what are your thoughts yeah i i i well especially dealing with other people listening to other people like again harking back to jason or other locksmith owners I know, I can be guilty of being too accommodating. And now I'm learning as I'm out on my own doing this, it's kind of like you can't you can't pull any punches because you're just gonna, you know, you're gonna write checks your ass can't cash. So <laughs> you you gotta you gotta be steadfast and ask those questions and get to the bottom of it. And if they're not willing to do it, then you're not willing to help because I mean at the end of the day, you're not doing them any service. They're not going to be happy if, you know, the bill or the job changes drastically from what you initially discussed. So, I mean, yeah. it's it, it's kind of being an asshole, but it's not in a way. You're just setting realistic expectations. Tim, what do you say? You know, in, in our shop, we have, uh, you know, basically there, there are shared customers uh, that we all know how to deal with. And then there are certain customers, normally commercial customers, but some residential 
that somehow or another, I've not figured out how yet, but somehow or another, uh, us as techs, we get paired with individually. Um, there's a, a commercial customer and a residential customer that were both new customers and assigned to me when they first came to us for their needs. And um, so when I get a call from those customers, I know what they need. I know what hardware they have. I know, you know, what their key cuts are for certain things, uh, if they're on a master system or not. And if it arises that I can't go to the job or it makes more sense for somebody else to go to that job, I step up and I say, hey, I saw you're going to, you know, to Joe Smith Lawn Care and Jim uh, Bob Cooter, Jim Bob Cooter's Lawn Care. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you need to, um, you know, it's all SC4. Uh, here are the cuts for this. This is what this lock should be on on this door. I wish we had software that incorporated all of that knowledge, because if I get run over by a bus tomorrow, then that knowledge isn't going to transfer to everybody. But, you know, being able to relay my personal knowledge of that customer to somebody else is is pretty nice, I guess, to them. I wish we had it from everybody who takes those calls in the shop. In other words, everybody knows everything. Right. And I, and, and I think that's where, you know, when I was the only guy in the shop for a while, you get to learn a lot more of the customer stuff because you're doing it every day and it's pretty much just you. But, you know, we try to keep good notes within ESC, within our master key system, within our paper records so that anybody can figure it out. Um, and, and for the most part, you know, it works. There's some people that I just that pretty much anybody ends up. It's just easier if I just do it. You know, they'd rather wait if I'm off on jury duty or something, they'll wait till I get back. You know, and, and there are certain customers who, if I'm the one in the shop or, or, you know, whatever, it's like, um, yeah, Tim could get there tomorrow afternoon, but, you know, Tim doesn't know your hardware. Tim has been there, he's serviced that hardware, and then your regular technician has had to come back out because you it, they're stupid customers. I'm starting to get on a rant. Yeah. Um but uh but no, I mean there there are certain customers who work better with certain techs as well. Yeah. All right. Well being in the shop, sometimes you can start the invoice depending on what software you have and give a customer a good idea of the cost. Well you know, like you said, we have a service call. We tell them it's X amount each place you put a key. You know, we have a list of common parts, you know, near the phone. I have all the, you know, we have all the key prices written down. Um, so generally speaking, if the more information we're given, the better we can give you a price. You know, we don't have it broken down by zip code like Tyler does, you know, service call and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but you know, generally, you know, with the car keys, somebody says it's a 2012 Ford. I know it's 135 bucks. Um, but if it's, you know, something that we don't do every day that we don't stock, you know, then it's a little bit different. So that and that's where the whole just bring the damn thing in comes in. 
I mean, Jeff, I'd like to say, you know, with, with us, we do, we don't have it broken down by zip code, but we do know general approximations. So our service charge, you know, for anything within 10 miles of the shop is a hundred bucks. Um, anything between 10 and 20 is, you know, like 125, whatever. So we kind of know that we can look it up on a map if we have to. Um, but then all of our, to go back to some of our earlier episodes, all of our line item labor we can put in there. So in other words, if I were to, uh, like Jeff, if if you were to defect from the north and come work for my shop, uh, then, and I were to give you a field call, I could, you know, put in, uh, it's going to be a trip one. It's going to be RSC times four, which RSC is just our code, our line item code for uh, resident or Reiki standard cylinder, uh, Reiki standard residential cylinder. Um, you know, four of those. And then I asked the customer, how many copies of the key do you want? And because of my questioning, I've said, I've figured out that they have quick set. And so I can put in four KW1 key blanks and actually write that invoice up uh, before it even gets dispatched to you. That's in Field Edge, uh, Service Fusion, or uh, excuse me, that's in Service Fusion. In Field Edge, we could do some of that, but Service Fusion, mm -hmm. we really kind of do that a little bit more now. Yeah, and we can't really do that with ESC because the invoicing is done in QuickBooks. But we put all the notes in there. This is what I quoted them. This is how many keys they want. This is what color it is, whatever. You know, you there are certain like short codes in there like uh, Reiki. And if you put in two, it says, well, it should take a half hour a piece or whatever, you know, the, for the, when it puts it on the schedule in little blocks. But I mean, pricing you know, if you break it down, people are going to start picking it apart. If you say, how much is it for a lockout? If you say 125 plus tax versus, well, it's this service call in a half hour and this and that, you know, it could be 120, it could be 150. You know, I, I've learned that that uh, definitely, you know, getting to the point is, um, is better. Don't give them a huge range because they're just going to, they're going to see the smaller part of the range and not you know then they're going to want to argue about it well and that also comes back to knowing your customer base i mean if it's a commercial customer who says hey you know i'm locked out of this you know where they are you know what type of hardware they have uh you can go and and take care of it whereas if it's somebody random who's never called you before then you can kind of question them and and do give them a range um but typically you know say typically it's going to be this but if we have to do more we're going to explain that to you before we actually do it right and most people commercial accounts don't care what it costs it just needs to be done residential you hear from somebody you most of the time it's the one and only time you're ever going to deal with them um you know unless they get a new a new house or something like that. So it's a little different. It's hard to know exactly what they have, but yeah. And most of the commercial people that come in, I know what they have. If I see them walking in, I've already got their master keys ready. Cause I know what they're bringing in. So yeah, that, that, that's a little bit different, but 
you know, even on the phone, how much does it cost to make a key for this lock that I'm bringing in? You can give them an approximate price, but when they bring it in, it might be something different. That's, you know, that's part of it also. You know, somebody had us have a safe that I need open. I didn't, you know, she didn't give many pricing. It ended up being something very simple, um, but you know, told him it would be this amount if we have to go out there to do it. So at least he has a, a an idea of what the highest range is. Um, and again, this was for somebody commercial. It, it, you know, they really don't didn't care. Um, but most people on the phone, if it's a dollar or two more than what you say on the phone, they're going to be freaking out. And it, it makes it interesting for sure. And Tyler, I know your system probably does all that for you, but <laughs> sure does. Well, let's see what uh, surprises Tim has in order this week. Duck your heads, hold your nose, and we'll find out together. All right, guys. So I've referenced several times before about working for 911, and uh, there's you know, there's all kinds of stories I could tell about that. Uh, but there is one call that really sticks in my mind and I have it saved uh, to my phone and all my cloud drives. And I think it perfectly merges uh, locksmithing and 911. And also it uh, is kind of fitting because about a year ago from the recording date of this, the dispatcher who took this call, she sadly passed away way too soon. But I would like to play a clip of my friend Beverly uh, when she was taking a 911 call. And for everybody listening at home, uh, Tyler and Jeff have not heard the entire clip. So their reactions will be genuine. Battery. County 911, police, fire, or medical. Hi, um, is this Burke County? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm sorry to call 911. It's not like a major emergency, but I don't know the number. I am sitting on North Green Street in Bank of America parking lot, and I'm waiting. I have an appointment across the street, and I was waiting. And evidently, while I was waiting, somehow or another, my car has died. The batteries died. Everything's electric. Me and my mother are locked inside my car. I can't get everything's electric. I can't get the doors unlocked. I can't get my key thing to pop the trunk so I could crawl through my back street and come out, you know, back seat and crawl out my trunk. Have you tried opening the handle? It won't. Yeah, it won't. I'm locked in. Okay. It, it's can all you, electric. I, I understand, but if your battery's dead, electricity's not going to work. Can you reach exactly, over and lift the? Listen can, to me. And listen to can, me. Can, reach over and lift the button. Do you have a button? It's it's not a lift button. Okay, wait, I got one. I got one to pull. It wouldn't pull. There we go. I'm good. I'm sorry. It wouldn't that, pull. It okay. pulled everything. Is that all you need? I'm sorry. That's I'm okay. Sorry, That's so okay. We, pull, we pulled everything, and it wasn't doing anything. And my mom, was, we were freaking out. So. Okay. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Uh, they, they didn't pull okay. anything. She, they were just using that as an excuse to not seem like a bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, you know, the cool thing is about Beverly, uh, she actually delivered four babies over the phone um, in her 30-year career, and every single one, she was just like that. So wow. God rest her soul. I miss her. 
uh, very much so. And so do all the rest of us that worked with her. But something else funny I think she would approve of me saying about her is that she had a BMW and went to a casino and uh, her BMW's electric system failed. And fortunately, she had the sunroof open. That was her only means of egress uh, <laughs> until the tow truck arrived. So I like how she was asking them and then they started talking. Shit. Now, hold, now, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yep. That's that, uh, that comes down to proper training. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that was just the 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 way that we handled things. Um, you, there were times that you had scripts for everything. Um but there were times that you had completely unscriptable moments like that. So, Oh, I'm sure. All right, guys. So we're going to head over to Spare Parts and see what we have left over this week. And here we meet again to discuss all things non-locksmith related or Maybe they are. Who knows? Tyler, go first. All right. My spare part is that I am uh, going out onto the Atlantic Ocean in about three days to go fishing. I want to catch striper. Uh, I want to catch, uh, well, there's a shit ton of stuff we can catch. I might even catch a shark. So I'm looking forward to it. And for a nominal fee, according to the charter boat, they will clean whatever I catch and bring it back and I will eat it. Just don't <laughs> catch a cold. I might. It's going to be raining. Jeff. Well, uh, the police here uh, caught another massive car theft ring, and it was $11 million, which I think was like three BMWs. Now, it was a whole bunch of expensive Chryslers, Dodge Hellcats, all that kind of stuff. They caught this whole ring, and they were like 18 to 22-year-old kids, you know, more uh, upstanding young men. Uh, so unfortunately, the car dealerships, a lot of these places are still leaving keys unsecured. And uh, some of this may be inside jobs. I don't really know, but uh, it's pretty frustrating. So they uh, they I read an article today about that up in Baltimore. What they're doing is that they're using kids because they know that they just get a slap on the wrist and they'll be right back out. So rather than them putting themselves on the line, they just employ these youths. And, uh, the, yeah, they, they skirt the laws or the, the changes to the laws, so that's why they're having kids do it for them, younger Well, adults. these guys were all charged as adults, so they were adults, as far as I know. Well, that's why Cleveland's better than Baltimore. Tim, go. Wait, it's, it's my block. I'm driving now. Tim, go. Speaking of driving, so this is a follow-up to an earlier spare part I had from another episode. Oscar Mayer has announced that its iconic Wienermobile is entering a new era. For the first time since its 1936 debut, it gets a new name. Without further ado, the 27-foot-long hot dog on wheels will now be known by its new name, the Frank, the Frank Mobile. Yes, I just shot Tyler the Bird on camera. Also, winter whistles are now known as frank whistles so i hope to god your name's not frank because everybody will be wanting to ride and blow on frank anyway maybe that might work out to your to your benefit if your name is frank yeah. i'm still calling it the oscar meyer wiener mobile me too and, and i still have a weenie whistle i, I i'm not even gonna go down that aisle um 
as always, if you have any hate mail or love letters, write them on the back of a $20 bill and email it to the3tumblerspod at gmail.com or tag us on Twitter at the number three tumblers pod, especially with a picture of your weenie whistle. Our executive producer is Tyler J. Thomas. Your technical producer is the lovely Jeff Moss. And I am the writer and editor of this travesty, Tim Coleman. Our director of employee loyalty is Upton Leftus. Our caterer is Virginia Ham, And our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham & Howe, otherwise known to the bums by Truest Field as Huey Louie Dewey. I got nothing. The penis mobile. Oh my god. This has been a Three Tumblers production. Season 1, copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts. And that, my fine fellows, is the skill of a true dispatcher. Going from laughing your ass off to 100% professional. 68. You owe me one. Yeah, no, not me, buddy, even though I'm wearing my gay pride glasses.